0: Today I want to talk to you about identity, because identity is important, and you don't think it's important, well try going to the bank and try cashing a check without a license. Can you do it? No, they'll say, where's your identification, sir, right? Because identity matters, doesn't it? And there's some things that you would expect to see in a church. There's identifiers of church. Most of us, when we think of church, we might think of a steeple. We might think of pews. We might think of hymnals. We might think of a lectern or pulpit. And we think that's what a church looks like. But what I want to challenge you today is is that we as God's people, we as Christ's church, need to have the hallmarks of that identification. We need to show the identification of who we are as God's people. I want to tell you, first of all, about a person in mistaken identity because we can mistake identity, can't we? There was a man by the name of Adolf Beck who always wore a frock coat and a top hat wherever he went. He was a smart man. He was an educated man. He was a chemist and he traveled the world and then very early on in his life he did very well for himself he was a singer he was a ship broker, he worked in real estate and then he began to fell, fall on rough times and so his coat was a little threadbare he didn't look quite as well as he used to but one day he was leaving 135 Victoria Street and a woman, a stranger came up to him and started following him. And she wouldn't leave him alone. He kept running from her. And finally he came to a policeman. He says, this woman is harassing me. She won't leave me alone. And then the story unfolds that according to the woman, she had met this Adolf Beck before and they had had tea together. But he told her his name was Lord Willoughby. And after some time together, he invited this woman to the French Riviera. And he says, listen, if you're going to the French Riviera, you need better clothes than the ones you got on because I'm hanging out with these very rich people. So I want to give you a check. And why don't you give me your jewelry and go to the store and buy for you some new clothes and new jewelry so you'll fit in at the French Riviera. And of course the woman leaves to go buy the clothes with that check. And was the check any good? Things got worse for this guy. Because the inspector took him in and what he found was is that there wasn't just one woman with this story. There were 22 cases of women being defrauded by a guy by the name of Lord Willoughby in the last two years. And this guy looked just like him. So they took him and they put him in the lineup. The women who were defrauded quickly picked him out of the lineup. He told them that he was innocent of all charges, but he was charged with 10 misdemeanors and four felonies and was convicted and spent seven years in prison. Then he was released, and then another woman accused him of the same thing and he went back to jail. And it was while he was in jail this second time that another woman was defrauded, and the inspector started scratching and said, well, if, if he's in jail and another woman got defrauded in the same way by a guy by the name of Lord Willoughby, maybe that's not Lord Willoughby. So they eventually found out and found that the man by the name of Wilhelm Meyer, who eventually confessed to all the crimes, But Adolf Beck was mistakenly imprisoned for that. His identity was compromised, wasn't it? They thought he was someone else, didn't they? Can the same thing happen to us spiritually? Can we see the church as something that it's not? What's interesting to me is that when I look into the movies and when I look into the media and when I look at how the world displays the church and what the church has become in many people's minds, it's a case of mistaken identity. People have turned the church into something that it's not. It's become something about power. It has become something of a show. I'm sorry we don't have smoke and mirrors up here today but can we become spiritually confused and forget what is the purpose and meaning of the church the identity of the church can we lose sight of what the church is actually supposed to be about and the beautiful thing is is that acts chapter two gives us the hallmarks of the identity of the church the first thing that i want you to know though is is that the identity of the church is rooted in the person of Jesus. And if your church, or if if a church is not rooted in the person of Jesus, then they got an identity problem, don't they? It has to be rooted in Jesus, first of all. That Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that He might have preeminence. And we are His body, it says. So the church is to be involved and active in the same things that Jesus was involved in and acted. We are His hands and feet. And the beautiful thing is, is that Luke gives us six hallmarks of identity with the true church. The first thing that he tells us is, in verse 43, or verse 42, and they continued steadfastly and the Apostles' Doctrine. That's the first hallmark of identity. And what do we mean by the Apostles' Doctrine? Is that what they taught and what they did was taught by the Apostles. So if we want to be Jesus' church, then what are we going to teach? What are we going to do in this place? It has to be the Apostles' Doctrine. Because the apostles are our connection to Jesus. You see, if you want to be centered in the person of Jesus, you have to go to His apostles. You see, Jesus chose His apostles, didn't He? Remember? He called Matthew. He called Peter, James, and John. He called them. He chose them. He instituted their apostleship. So it's to the apostles, the first generation of witnesses that we turn to. So we have Jesus choosing His apostles. We have the apostles witnessing the life and ministry of Jesus. And we also have the Holy Spirit coming upon them to help us. The apostles give us the terms and conditions of the church. Remember, that when Jesus spoke to Peter, He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And He said, I give given thee, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Do you want to be in the church? Do you want to be in the church that Jesus created and established? If you want to be in that church, then I have to do what Peter told those in Acts chapter 2 to do. It's through the apostles' doctrine that we find the church. It's through their teaching of Jesus' moral living that we find His true church. It is through their teachings that we understand how the church is organized. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.13, Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. So if we are going to truly be the Lord's church, Jesus' church, then whose teaching are we going to cling to? There's lots of people who have lots of teaching and lots of ideas, but it's, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the apostles' teaching. Number two, the second hallmark that Luke gives us in the book of Acts It's fellowship. It says, and in fellowship they lived. In verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That word fellowship, it means to have commonality. So a church is to have a strong fellowship among the people. What do you see in our culture? Do you see fellowship? I don't. I see fragmentation. I see people who are divided. But the fellowship of the church is to be something that transcends nationality. The fellowship of the church is to transcend politics. Yeah, you heard me right. Did you know that they had differing politics even among the apostles themselves? That the fellowship of the church That commonality, that spirit is to transcend the color of people's skin or how much money that you have in your pocket. That's what the church is to be, a fellowship that transcends earthly divisions and divisiveness. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing to come into a community and to live at one with one another instead of being socially isolated. How many people are isolated in this culture? When we have so many means of communication, when you can text someone right now, somebody might even be texting somebody, right? You can be on Facebook right now, right? You can email any person. You can Skype. You can FaceTime. But yet there's so many people who are alone. And that's not how God called us to live. God called us to live in fellowship with each other. That fellowship, it says in Philippians 2, listen to this. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one accord and one of mine. That's the beauty of Christian fellowship that that it is a consolation and it's a spirit of love, not of one of fragmentation and of division, but of coming together and having commonality. Because last time I checked, we've got the same story. Every single one of us, even though we may look different, even though we may come from different places, we have the same story. In God's church and God's kingdom. Were you lost? Have you been lost? I've been lost. Were you saved by the grace of God through faith? That's the same story, the same commonality. We have that in common and we share in that story. Together, we should have that fellowship. But fellowship is also a responsibility. It's a responsibility because if you are in fellowship with someone, if someone's in your family, that means you're also responsible for that person. And you see, we should be responsible for each other. In fact, it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. That when you're weak, that I'm to come over and to help you to lift your burdens. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.15 that we're to admonish one another as brothers and sisters if we're falling into sin. And so fellowship not only is this blessing and this beautiful thing, but it's also a responsibility because we're here to take care of each other. Amen? And isn't that what family's about? Family's about taking care of each other, and that is the fellowship that Christ gives in his church. What also, what do we find? This fellowship extends to the pockets. Listen, verse 45, and they sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone who had need. I wish the rest of the world could get that picture, don't you? Don't you? We are inundated with, with the politics of now, right? And every day, what do we hear about on the news? We hear about what? The economy. How much effort and time and money is spent on the economy? In fact, if, you can't get elected if you're not talking about the economy, right? Hey, what, what, what you got in for me? Right? The economy. But Jesus says there's another economy. There's a spiritual economy. And it's the kind of economy that if you give something or to someone, you never lose it. It's a spiritual economy. Jesus said it like this, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, if you give to those who are in need, to those who are hurting, then you actually never lose it. In fact, you've really gained it because you've laid it up, not in a bank here on earth where they can get robbed. Not in your back pocket where you can lose your wallet. But you've laid up your treasure where? In heaven where moth and wrath doth not corrupt, neither thieves break through and steal. There's a different economy and the Christians of the first century sold their possessions and good and divided among them as anyone who had need. There was a generosity in the early church. That's a hallmark of who the church is. It also says that they broke bread. We did it here this morning. We also gave this morning. They broke bread speaking of Holy Communion. And why is communion so important? Number one, because Jesus said, this shall you do in remembrance of Me. And so when we break the bread and take of communion, we remember who Jesus is. And if I remember who Jesus is, then I remember who I need to be. Because Jesus in His death demonstrated selflessness. Whereas I struggle with selfishness. He said it's a memorial. He says it's to our remembrance. But also in the Lord's Supper and communion and breaking bread, we find spiritual nourishment. We need to partake of it because we need that spiritual nourishment of who Jesus is in our life. Because ultimately it gives us hope. Because Jesus, Paul said of Jesus' Lord's Supper, he says that as often as you eat of it, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes till he comes there's a hope in the breaking of bread we also find another hallmark of the church in verse 42 that the Christians were living in a state of prayer they prayed they prayed together and prayer is the life and oxygen of the church if we're not praying then we're losing that connection to God Think about it. To, who are the people that are important in your life? I know everybody's got people who are important in their life here. And how often do you talk to them? How often do you text that person that, you, that you're best friends with? How often do you call your spouse? Usually after I drop my daughter off at school, I've got a morning phone call to mama. Mama. You know what? And I know if I don't have that phone call, if I'm getting the silent treatment, that's bad news, isn't it? But how many of us give God the silent treatment? we got to stay connected to God. we got to stay connected in prayer. You can't do it on your own. And it says the Christians continued steadfastly in prayer. They stay connected to God talking to their Father. It needs to be on your speed dial. Right? Paul said, Be anxious in nothing, but in everything. In everything, prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer. But we also find in verse 47, the people were praising God and having favor with all the people they were worshiping. And that's another hallmark of who the people of God are, who the church, we are a worshiping people. We worship God. We don't worship ourselves. We don't worship what the world gives us. We worship God because of who He is. And God is seeking true worshipers today today. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And as a result, what happened to the church? It began with a big bang. 3,000 people added to the church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. They continued in prayers. They continued breaking bread. They continued... Praising God, and as a result, it says, And the Lord added daily those who were being saved. If we continue to be God's people in this church, God will add people to it because they will see the hallmarks of Christian identity in this place. But first, we have to be like them and receive the word. What happened to Adolf Beck? That guy was let off. He was freed. And all the charges dropped against him and he was given a free... He was innocent, right? He was innocent of all the charges. And he was let free. But I'm not innocent. I'm not innocent. I'm a sinner. And that's where the story has to begin with the acknowledgement of who I really am, my identity. It says in the Scriptures, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that because of sin, however little that you want to make it out to be, or however however big you think it is, it does the same thing. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I'm guilty and I need the pardon of Christ. And that's who the people of God are. That's who the church is. is a group of pardoned people who are seeking that for others. Have you accepted that grace and that pardon today? If you have not, let me tell you who to turn to. The apostles. The ones who walked with Jesus And that faithfully preserved His words. And they gave us His words. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter said on Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us what He needs us to do. To accept His grace and His mercy. And then we can begin to continue in that teaching, to continue in that fellowship, and to spread the good news of who Jesus is. If you're not a Christian this morning, we want to encourage you. Or if you're a Christian that's lost sight of who Jesus is, we want to encourage you. Or if you need a prayer of healing or encouragement, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, Won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.